0: The kids and youth are there. I am, are dismissed at this time. Um, Welcome again. So grateful to have you with us as we worship together. For those of you worshiping online, we're glad to have you with us as well. It's a blessing to gather together to worship. Um, This season that we're in now as a church, uh, universal and also local here, is the Lenten season. And we've kind of introduced this idea or kind of leaned into this idea that during Lent, it's really a walk and a journey with God. Um, It's an invitation for us to both hold on to God as God holds on to us. The reminder for us that in Christianity, it's quite often um, we hold things in tension, but it doesn't mean that they have to clash. It doesn't mean that to pull us apart, right? It just means that they both can be true, right? Um, so for example, in classic Christian thought, predestination free will, yes, you know? Is Jesus physically in heaven or on earth? yes, right? These are things that we hold in tension and we have to hold both at the same time. So for Lent, the church has traditionally held two different positions in intention. The first one is that this is akin to Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. These 40 days were before Jesus' ministry. So it's this idea that before he would go out and reveal himself as the Messiah, before he would go out and actually show the world who he is, that he was poured out, he was emptied, and the Holy Spirit came upon him. And in that wilderness, Jesus was, was praying, was fed, fasting was self-denial and 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 really really just being poured on by the spirit however because where we we, we um situate lent is right literally right before resurre- uh, resurrection sunday but good friday um, we as the church have also then held on to this season of lent as a march towards the cross so jesus is marching towards jerusalem so a couple of times you'll see in the gospels they'll say he set his face towards jerusalem so lent has both held both these tensions Jesus in the wilderness and Jesus marching towards Calvary. So in the wilderness for us, as we think about Lent the season, it's a season then of prayer, of self-denial, of repentance, of reconciliation. But it's also a march towards Good Friday and a Resurrection Sunday. And as we march on, the challenge for us is to take up our cross. The challenge for us is, is how, what is the purpose of this life that we're living? Is it for our own glory or the glory of the Lord? What is the sacrifice that God is causing us to do? Because Resurrection Sunday is a celebration, but what is the work that we have to do in, in self-denial, which is kind of our focus this morning. Um, that's an interesting one because twice in the last month-ish, I've had, um, at least in my head, some pretty ironic things going on. The first was during my um, COVID scare. You like to call it vacation, Pastor Linda. But I was struggling in my hotel room all week by myself. And during that struggle of mine, I was working on a paper um, about how America has become uh, an idol for us as Americans, about how our citizenship in heaven hasn't mattered as much, right? About how we have lifted up being American above our actually Christian call. So while I'm working on this and basically just eviscerating everything about American Christianity, I was pining to be in America. <laughs> you know, I was in my hotel, I was like, I just wanna go back home, you know? Um, and one of my friends says, if I see a picture of you kissing the floor when you land in the United States, I will never let you live it down. I didn't do that, but I did say God bless America, so he'll forgive me. Um, but the second irony has been this week, right? Like I I'm, I'm wanted us to focus on on self-denial. And, and it's very, very interesting when you're trying to craft a sermon and it hurts to think, right? When, when you, I, and this week I, I had a fever that kind of started Wednesday night and it finally broke Friday, but for like three days there, it was just like my body was on fire. And so I was just like telling the spirit, I'm like, oh well, I'm claiming self-denial. Like whatever comes out Sunday morning, that's you, that's not me, right? But in actuality, that's not what self-denial is, right? Like, it's not this idea of just giving up and saying, oh, spirit, right? There's something a little bit deeper because it's an intentional step. And so as we look at what self-denial is and what this intentional step is and and what God is actually asking of us and the fruit that comes of it, I wanted us to turn to one of David's most famous psalms, one of David's most famous songs. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me into Psalm 40. I'll be reading the first 11 verses. Um, You can also follow up front. I believe we'll be sharing from the NIV version. Starting at verse one, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Out of the mud and mire, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods or to lies. Many, Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you plan for us. None can compare with you. Were I had to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Or another translation says, but a body you have prepared for me. Burnt offerings and sin purification offerings you did not require. But then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I do not hide your justice in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your unfailing love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. Let's pray together. Lord God, Teach us to wait patiently for you. We give thanks for you turn to us and hear our cries. We praise you for you lift us up out of the pits, out of the miry clay. Holy Spirit, teach us to sing, sing a new song. We give thanks for a new day and a new song. We praise you no matter how long we wait on you. Lord Jesus, Teach us to set our feet upon you, our rock. We give thanks, for you have made our footsteps firm. We praise you, for many will see and hear our new song. Um, For those of you who've been tracking along, this is also Lent brought to you by Bono and U2. Um, So if you know, you too. There's a song 40, which is Bono adapting the first two verse, uh, first two to three verses of Psalm 40 into song, which I find fascinating um, because the, the the theory, or at least the The story around it is that he needed a song to end the album. He wrote it in 10 minutes. They recorded it, they mixed it, and they played it, and they were good, right? So it was perfectly 40. Um, But I think even deeper than that, though, it was a reminder that here's an ancient song, right? David is the original songwriter of praise and blues and gospel, but here's an original song that David wrote hundreds of years ago, and this Irish guy reads it, and puts it the song, and today it's one of the most beloved songs by by YouTube fans, I'm told, right? I'm told this is how they end their concert, and they leave the, I got one man there, so, is that, I know you guys are hiding, right? Like, it's just like, it's okay, you can claim your YouTube fanship. I'm not going to judge you too harshly. I love you, I think. Um, but, but no, no, it's it's one of the most, I actually saw a bunch of clips this week, and it's kind of cool. They cut all the lights off, and they walk out one by one. It's, it's beautiful. But a point that's even deeper, though, is this idea about how these ancient Psalms, right? These songs that have been around for thousands of years can become our own. How we read them not just as scripture or poetry or verse or song, but they can become our prayer and how they take on their life of their own. Um, Our African brother in Saint Athanasius puts it like this. In the Psalms, you learn about yourself. You find depicted in it all the movements of your soul, all its changes, its ups and downs, its failures and recoveries. The marvel of the Psalms is that the reader takes all its words upon their lips as though they were their own, written for their special benefit, and takes them and recites them, not as though someone else were speaking or another person's feelings being described, but as they speak to themselves, offering the words to God as their own heart's utterance, just as though they themselves had made them up. That's why Bono can write 40, right? Like, he thinks it's his idea, but it's really David's, it's really God. And that's the idea of what we're holding on to in this season of Lent, right? When we look at these psalms, it's a reminder that the Spirit uses these ancient words of old to draw us to Jesus. But it's also a reminder that Jesus himself sung these songs. And it wasn't just things that he quoted, right? We see Jesus singing psalms literally on the cross, but we also see this passage in verse six to eight, where a lot of Christian um, um, historians and theologians have said that six to eight, when Jesus or when the, when the, the psalm writer says, you know, not my will, but your will be done. They, they, they take that Gethsemane from that line. And it was the idea is that not only did the psalms are the words that Jesus spoke, but the words that he imbibed, the words that he lived, the words that flowed out of him. So these songs that we sing or these these psalms that we study are not just songs about Jesus, right? They're songs that draw us to God. But the beauty of the Holy Spirit through the psalms is that these songs can fully become our own. Trevor Longman, who's a New Testament scholar, says it like this. The Psalms are a literary sanctuary, the place where God meets his people in a special way. So not only are the Psalms where every emotion is felt, right? Not only are the Psalms a place where every life situation that you can imagine is is, is, is literally dealt with, but it's a place where God meets you. And so that's kind of our walk during the season of Lent. As we go through all of this, where is God meeting us? Where is God calling us? How is God growing us? So as we're thinking, or as I was thinking about self-denial, and I was looking at the psalm, right? I was sick, so if doesn't make sense, God bless you. We'll, we'll work it out, right? But I, as I read through the psalm, and the breakdown kind of came like this, right? I saw David, in writing the song would basically make a, 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 a plea or a promise that, that we all have to do. and and, and after he makes that promise he'll he'll show what god does and respond to this plea or pledge or promise that we make and then he will say there's a blessing that comes from you knowing that god will do what god will do and then i also thought about different portions of david's life where this was true right it seems like a lot but we'll get through it right so the very first one david asks us to what wait on the lord to wait patiently on the lord in verse one, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And and so as I thought about this this week, I realized there's so many people probably in this room that have been waiting patiently on the Lord for something. And for some of us, it's maybe a a burden, right? For some of us, maybe it's an affliction or or a thorn in our side, right? But for some of us, it might be something that for decades, I have a friend who I went to um, school with, who was one of my, my best friends, right? And I remember... After college, we lived together in LeMoyne, which was a bustling metropolis. Shout out to LeMoyne. But then we couldn't handle LeMoyne, so we went back to the little city of Philadelphia, right? Um, But I think back about how 15 years ago I moved to Harrisburg. and and I I think back about how for 15 years I've been praying for my friend. And part of the reason is because it it, it was like the slow tragedy of seeing somebody lose their faith, right? And it's the slow tragedy of seeing someone turn away from God consistently and consistently. So there's, there's people in our lives that we've been praying for, some of us, for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. There's a lot of things that we're waiting patiently on the Lord for. It might be career direction. It might be finances or future. It might be for our kids or grandkids. It might be for, for, for stability, whatever that looks like. It might even be for world peace, right? We need it, especially if you're in Eritrea right now or Ukraine right now, right? There's so much that we're waiting patiently on the Lord for but what i love about david is he remembers that the lord god is his deliverer and how amazing is it that no matter what we're waiting patiently on the lord for david's response that god's response to our weight is not only to be our deliverer but to turn to us to hear our cry to lift us up out of the slimy pit the mud and the mire to set our feet on a rock. What a blessing that not only will God deliver you, but even right now as you wait, God hears you. God's with you. God's working for you. That is the God we serve. And so David says, if you know that, if you know that, yes, now now is the time to wait. But as you wait, God hears you. God feels you. God's with you. God's leading you. God's working for you. What is the blessing? The blessing is sing a new song of praise. Sing a new song so others will hear. There's so many of us who want Jesus to save everyone. And that the hard part for us is recognizing that the spirit is alive and well. And the spirit is doing its work but we're not doing the work that we need to do. And you'll see this thread all throughout the scriptures and especially through the Psalms. And here David will say it time and time again, sing a new song of praise. It is our ministry, our work, our life to tell our people of what God has done for us, of what God has done in us and through us, right? Remember before Jesus goes to heaven, he says what? Yeah, go and be my disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, But all I want you to do is teach him everything I've taught you. God seems to believe that if you just simply live for him, tell your story of what he's done for you, that the world will come to him. And it doesn't mean the waiting's easy. I've been praying for my friend for 15 years and haven't seen anything. But it also doesn't mean that the waiting's in vain. And I thought about David's life, about how when he's crowned, it took years for him to be king. About how after he's crowned, he still had to slay a Goliath. About how he's been crowned, he still had to dodge the spears from Saul, the king of God who wanted to kill him. I thought about how after he's been crowned or anointed and before he's crowned, he still had to hide out through enemies. It might be a long road from anointing to coronation, but if we wait on the Lord, our deliverer will be on our side. Amen? And that God, who's our deliverer, will not only turn his ear and hear you, but this God will lift you up. And that's why David then implores us to trust in the Lord, to trust in God and not the proud and not the false idols and not the false lies. And it's interesting here because David seems to believe that if it's not God, it can possibly be an idol. And if it's not God, and I put my faith and trust in it, and it's pulling me away from God, that is something I should run from. That is something I should fear. My entire trust and focus should be on God. And so for a lot of us, if it's the bad things that we shouldn't know, right? Like, it's really hard to find A good Christian who will tell you like materialism is just the way like I just feel like God wants me to have everything at your expense too right like I just think God just give me everything right so those are the easy ones for us to eschew right or in this state right as Americans right we do not like war and we pray for Ukraine but we also have to take ownership that we have one 9-11 and Baghdad's been bombed hundreds of times on our behalf, in our United States of America, is that we have Ukraine in our focus, but brown people are dying in Eritrea. They have been for a year. and Most of us have never even read about that region. So we have to hold these things and realize that even the good things can keep us from God. And it's not just our Americanism. It can be good things like our education, our finances, our family, our career. And sometimes it's the good things that are harder to give up. Because if something is hurting you or hurting the people around you, hopefully, right? Like I'm I'm giving grace here. Like hopefully all of us would be like, this is bad. Let's not do it. But it's the good things that are keeping us from the best one that's harder for us to let go of. And David calls us then to not only let go, but trust in the Lord and not on the gifts that he gives. (laughs) The trust in the Lord, the giver of the gifts, and not on the blessings that we receive. And then he says something very interesting. And when he talks about it, and this is why a lot of theologians quote verses 6 to 8 as saying this is what Jesus says in Gethsemane, because David seems to believe that sacrifice is only the path to God. And this puts them kind of in contrast with some Old Testament theologians and writers. Because for David, the sacrifice is not the end-all, be-all. David seems to think that God doesn't just care about your sacrifice. God wants you. God doesn't just care about what you have to give up. He wants you to think about what you're giving up for his glory, for his kingdom. And we see this in one of the most tragic stories in all of scripture. It's in Kings and Chronicles, and basically David, right, as someone who should not trust in his, his own gifts, he counts a census of, of the people, right? And he counts a census of his military. And at some point along the line, David stops back, and instead of saying, that like, wow, look at us little old Israel and how God has blessed us, David at some point gets proud and says, wow, look at all I've built. Look how strong I am, little old David. All these soldiers, these people would die for me. And because of his sin of arrogance, because of his sin of, of taking his eyes off of God and only holding on to the blessings that God has given him. And this is the thing we have to hold on to. And We'll see this next week, right? Like sin has consequences. And so people die. Lots of people die because of David's sin of arrogance. And it's this fascinating story because one of the few places in the Bible where God goes to David and God goes to someone and God gives him a choice a choice of what was going to be the consequence it was either going to be running from enemies or or famine in the land or literally the angel of the lord an angel of death coming down and David has this crazy thing or a wild thing where he says I'm going to place my hand in your hands I'm going to place our fate in your hands because even though there's going to be consequences I trust that you are good and I love that because you would think that's the highlight of the story But after the angel is wiping out through Israel and it lands at the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite, it's a very interesting place for for Christian um, theologians and, and, and just church geeks, right? Like this is like really, really amazing place, right? Because we believe that where David, where the angel was standing, is right near Mount Moriah, which means that it's right near where Abraham and Isaac happened. Where that impossible sacrifice, where God is like, were you willing to take this good thing? and sacrifice it for me. Right? But it's also then right near where Solomon is going to build the temple, which Israel would say, that's when we were in all of our glory, right? That's when we were a light on the hill, a place where all the nations come to worship and pray. But then it's also near Calvary, where God's impossible choice and sacrifice was giving his son for us. So as David hits this threshing floor of Aronah the Jebusite, there's this fascinating scene where this Jebusite, the original inhabitants of Jerusalem, right? Like, they've been taken over all around them by Israel and David's might, right? This is a whole story about how powerful David is, right? And he shows up on your farm floor, and this guy literally bows down to his king, bows down to David, like, anything you want, you can have, right? So there's some of us who are just like, what a great servant, right? But then the more you read the story, it's like, he is terrified. <laughs> like, why? is david coming with all these people in my farm right like this is not a good thing but i think the highlight of the story is david lifting up arona looking at him in the face and says no i will pay i will not give my god that which cost me nothing and to me that is the heart of worship that is the heart of this self-denial it's the heart of going before God and saying this might sting, this might hurt, but if it belongs to you, I want to give all of me. I will not give you that which costs me nothing. And then David continues here in our passage, calling us to tell the good that God has done. So the first good is the story of God in your life, the story of what God has done in and through you. But the second good It's about God's righteousness, God's justice, and God's Hesed. And you see, these three go along a long time in the Old Testament, passage after passage after passage, meaning that God expects us to be his mouthpiece, to tell the world that justice is coming, to tell the world that yes, it's not as it should be, but we serve the one who will make all things right, that we serve the one who cheseds us who agapes us, who loves us and works together for our good, who through everything is on our side, who no matter what is bringing us back home. And so David says, tell your story, but let your story also be to tell the world about this God who is good. And then the blessing is that God will not withhold his deep mercy. The the ancient Hebrew word kind of is akin to to, to a womb, right? And the idea is that it comes from within deep God, like mercy of God comes from deep within God. And why I think that's incredible is maybe not you, but certainly me. I feel like my tendency to think of God's love and mercy is it's too much like it's automatic, right? Like he's God, like he's gonna love us, like that's what God does, right? But David, the songwriter, The man after God's own heart recognizes that for God to pour mercy upon you, it comes from deep within, meaning that it's not an automatic thing. Right. That every single act of mercy, every single act of love, every single act of compassion. I want you to think back to the gospel story of the lady who touches Jesus's robe and he feels the power come out of her. That's how we need to think about God's mercy. Every single act of mercy and compassion, Jesus has power that comes out of him. It's not an automatic thing. It's the power that comes out of Jesus for us and God will not withhold that deep mercy. And the blessing is that God's unfailing love and faithfulness will always, always protect us. And the point of David's life that I think highlights this the most is in the last psalm that he wrote. We believe that David wrote 73 psalms, right? And they cover everything. They cover praise to God. They cover running from my enemies. They cover, oh, my son is rebelling against me. I don't know what to do. They cover his sin and deep sin. They cover everything. But you know, if 73 made it into the Psalms, there was probably about 7,300 other ones that didn't make it, right? Like every good songwriter, I can imagine David just writing, writing, oh, that's not good. You know, spend three weeks on something and rip it up and throw it out, right? But I love that the last Psalm of David we have Which we can conclude probably comes towards the end of his life is this beautiful psalm of praise when david thinks back on his life he remembers that the god who's good has worked not only on his behalf but on behalf of the world that this god who does not withhold the deep mercy is a god who promises love and faithfulness to always be there and that psalm i want to read in its totality because i think it's such a beautiful beautiful final song that David leaves us in Psalm 145 David thinking about his life and thinking about how good God has been to him he says this I will exalt you my God the king I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, O Lord. Your faithful people, they extol you. They tell the glory of your kingdom. They speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom, Lord, is... (laughs) Your kingdom, Lord, is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and give them, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand, Lord, and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous and just in all his ways and faithful in all that he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear and worship him. He hears their cries and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And then he ends this as the final song, the final line. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. That's the final song that David writes. What a testimony of his God. It is not a song, John Hallbaker reminded me, right? It's not a psalm that's about Jerusalem. It's not about the temple. It's about how good God has been, not just for Israel, but for all the world and that's where David ends. So as we pivot now to think about what is this idea of self-denial? Where David ends is where I hope we can all end. That at the end of our lives, that we're singing praises of how good God has been, not only to us, but to our whole world and all the people we've known and held on to and who've held on to us. But as we think about what does it mean, this self-denial thing, it's important for us to acknowledge that all of us in this room are watching online. We all have crosses to bear. For some of us, it might be an addiction or an affliction. For some of us, it might be the, the stain of, of bad relationships and the repercussions and consequences of bad decisions. For some of us, it just might be we're in toxic places and around toxic people and we're making toxic decisions. We have to take ownership of that too. But we all have crosses to bear. And what we said last week is that what God desires from us is sacrifice and surrender. So it's not enough to just say, I have a cross to bear or I have this thing I'm struggling with. But we have to surrender to God. Every single day. If we want to live by the Spirit, we have to surrender to God. And a lot of you out here are better Christians than me, so you just do it once when you wake up and you're good, right? But for some of us, God's still working extra time. So it's like you do it three times before 7 a.m., and then you feel good about 8 a.m., right? But the surrender has to happen. It has to be an active thing of you saying, God, I give it all to you. My hopes, my dreams, my future, my finances, my health, my family, my children everything I give to you and I surrender it to you and I think the best thing at least for me that helps me frame this is to consistently ask yourself Lord am I doing this for me or for you am I working for your kingdom or just my kingdom and that helps me frame it because I think we live in a world of excess but also access and then recess. And we're going to explain that a little bit, right? The excess one is in, is easy, right? Like, like, we as Americans especially, we have a lot. When I was in England, one of the things that was shocking to me was how small their houses are. It's the most fascinating thing. Like, it's, like, I've grown up in cities my entire life here in America. I've grown up in, you know, rural houses and, like, but all of them are at least, like, 1,500, 2,000 feet. Like, you in England, you just feel like a giant. You're just like, wha- how do you live with 900 square feet? Like, what is wrong with you people, right? Like, you just see it, and then you eat food, right? Outside of their breakfast, which is a little strange, right? Like, they eat baked beans for breakfast, but we'll talk about that some other time. But, like, even how we, we portion our foods, you realize that, like, we have excess even in how we portion our foods here, right? We live in a world where it's excess. Everything is just everything. And then what makes it even harder for us is not only do we have excess everything, we have access to everything, right? Like, if you want, you can go to a buffet ten days in a row. No one will judge you except maybe Jesus, you know? Like, I'll probably join you nine of those days, and then I'll be like, it's Lent, let's repent. I'm kidding. I don't go to buffets anymore. My wife taught me better. But no, seriously though, right? Like we have access to all these things, right? But I think what's even harder than the excess and the access is that too many of us live like recess. And what I mean by that is, you know how, think back. I have two teenage, oh teenage, Woo, I just scared myself. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I was sick this week, y'all. I was sick. I was sick. It didn't happen yet. Pray for me, whew. 10 years just flashed before my eyes, I'm terrified. (laughs) I have two elementary school daughters, right? So this isn't hard for me to imagine, right? But recess is very different when your teacher is outside. When the teacher is outside, like, you're playing nicely, you know, you're like, keep an eye on the teacher, You're, you're good but the teacher also needs a break, right? Like I've learned that recess is really for the teacher. It's not even for the kids. Like you can give all the emotional benefits and development, it's for the teacher. Like they need a break. Like your kids are driving them wild. Like they need a break, they need prep time, right? Sanity time is what I call it, right? But when the teacher turns their back, it gets a little feistier out there, doesn't it, right? But I think we as Christians are living like that. We're living like God's not around, right? So not only do we have the excess and the access, we think we have recess and we can just do whatever we want. But there's something that's interesting about that. Because Jesus might be physically in heaven, but when you accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you. So that recess that you have where you're making yourself first and only living for yourself, you're doing that with the Holy Spirit still trying to live inside of you. So your recess isn't because the teacher isn't around. Your recess is because you've chosen you and not what God wants. So the work for us as followers of Jesus is in our word of excess, in our world of excess, we need to be people of enough. In our world of access, we need to be people of surrender and sacrifice. And in our world of recess, we need to be people who remember the spirit lives inside of us and our work is to surrender. So it's not just about everything you can have or how easily you can have it or the fact that you can do whatever you want it's about, Lord, you are enough. What you've blessed me with is enough. I give myself to you, and I rest in you by surrendering. Because all of us have things that pull us from Christ. And I think this is the hard part we talked about a little bit earlier. It's just very easy if you can identify the bad things that pull us from Christ. But in this season of Lent, the challenge is realizing that many good things can pull us from Christ. Whether it's again family or job or career or education or future or finances or for us as young people, health, right? We take it for granted. And all these things. So the hard part is that if there's something that pulls us from Christ, David identifies it as an idol. The harder part for some of us is recognizing if there are people who pull us from Christ, that's not just an idol but that's something we need to step away from. I started off talking about my friend who I left in Philly 15 years ago. That's part of the reason I came to Harrisburg. It was because I looked at my life, I looked at the trajectory of my life and the decisions we were all making, and I recognized that it wasn't fruitful to God. And it's not that I just love Harrisburg, but leaving Philadelphia was really hard. But sometimes... You have to make those hard decisions if you want to be faithful to God. And listen, I know we're Anabaptists. We have a bad history on this, right? I'm not asking us to excommunicate anyone and shun people like we don't do that here. But I am saying that sometimes it's people who pull us away from God. And if that's the case, we can be more faithful by giving them and trusting them to God by praying for them and waiting patiently on the Lord, but also by walking the other way. So in this season of of Lent, as we think about self-denial, maybe it's something that's becoming idle, right? Some of you have already started. The rest of us are catching up, right? In Lent, maybe you've already picked what, what you've given up, right? But again, it's not about what you give up, it's who you're giving up to. But it's also recognizing that if there's one thing I can't live without, and that thing has become an idol to me. So Henry Thiessen yelled at me because I said coffee in the first service and we literally just opened the coffee (laughs) today, actually. So I'm not gonna judge the coffee people, maybe I am. (laughs) What's actually funny about this is in between services, I went to get food and I ordered, I thought was an iced chai latte and they gave me um, coffee So I was like, see, I wasn't gonna make fun of the coffee people, Jesus, but then they gave me coffee so I feel empowered (laughs) by the Spirit, maybe not the Holy Spirit. (laughs) But seriously, if there's any one thing, right, that you look at your life and say, I can't live without this, then you have to make the honest decision and say, this has become my idol and I have to put this aside. And for some of us, it might be coffee, right, Or, or it might be social media And the harder part is for some of us in in, in, in maybe hard relationships, it might be people, right? And so so part of this season is saying, Lord, I'm going to take a step back because I want to recenter and refocus on you. Because if I can't live without this, this is truly my Lord. And the thing about social media or coffee or people is that they can all be good things, but they make for horrible masters. So the idea of surrender here and sacrifice here is turning our mind to Christ. And denying these things so that we're freed to walk in the spirit. I'd like to invite up Pastor, Pastor Hannah and Tapestry as we prepare for our last song. As we sing this song, it's Psalm 23. And we'll be reminded in this song about how we are not alone. I think that's a beautiful message because as we think about what it means to, to set aside some, some good things sometimes or, or to set aside things that are keeping us away from God, May we be reminded that even in that spirit, the Lord is with us. The Lord is carrying us. And and for those of us who've been praying for years about something or someone, to be reminded that God is still your deliverer, that God still hears your prayers, and God's still working in it. And for all of us to trust God who's good and to remember that our lives are to tell the good of God. I'd also invite any of the pastors in the room to please come up. We'd love to pray for you, for anything you've got going on. Maybe it's something you want to respond to in the service, or maybe it's something you've been praying for for a long time that you want us to join you in prayer for. Or maybe you've never even made that decision to follow Jesus and you want to explore that and talk a little bit about it. Or or maybe you just say, God, in this season, I want to rededicate myself to you. Whatever it is going on, we'd love to invite you up to please come and we'll pray for you. But let's stand and sing this song, Remembering. That what we give up is not nearly as much as the one we give it up for and the one we give it up to. And that God who asks us to wait is the God who carries us through. Let's stand and sing together.